Tyler and Elizabeth Boggs left the army and set up a farm that raises organic food and at the same time teaches people how to do exactly the same themselves. Along the way they helped many vets deal with the traumas they suffered in service and thrive in civilian life. Here's their story. Good morning Tyler and Elizabeth and welcome to the Local Paleo Show. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Hello Mark, how are you? Wonderful, thank you. Can't complain at all and even if I did there's no one around to listen anyway. Well, we are listening, but we don't care that much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you see what I mean? You know, just can't so, get the staff nowadays. It's just abuse, abuse, on-camera abuse. Okay, so um, Tyler and Elizabeth, you are the co-owner and manager of Hard to Hard Farms, a working farm in Oregon, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so can you uh, tell us about your background, your history, how did you get to uh, start your farm and, uh, you know, uh, all that good stuff? That's a great question. So Liz actually owns the farm and she allows me to work here as long as I behave. So mm. two or three days a week, I get to show my face. She um, pays you that, well? Uh, she pays well, you well? She, she, she pays me. We'll call it that. She feeds you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to talk about how it started? Yeah. So um, let's see. Seven years ago, I was just finishing my career as an Army nurse. And I was coming off of active duty and working in civilian hospitals when in the emergency room, I had a nine-year-old come in with abdominal pain. And we did a workup on her, and it led to us getting an x-ray. And uh, there we saw that she was pregnant. And it was not the first time I had a, a, a I've seen a child get pregnant. Um, but when I came home and talked with Tyler about it, and we finished talking about the morals involved with how a nine-year-old can gets pregnant, um, we started talking about how it was even possible that someone so young could conceive. And that led us to do a bunch of research and watch documentary after documentary until we realized that we could not, and we did not want to rely on the uh, commercial food industry. And so we made a commitment to not buy anything that wasn't organic and well-sourced. And that of course led to a very high grocery bill and we realized that it wasn't sustainable for us to continue with the lifestyle we wanted to lead without actually having our own farm. <clears throat> so that led us to finding some land and starting out as a way just to provide for us and the family uh, some quality meats and milk and eggs. Yeah, so Heart to Heart wasn't a business idea originally. It was just a self-preservation concept. It was that we couldn't afford $2,000 a month in groceries. And mm. this was a necessity for us to be able to feed our family the way we wanted to feed them. Getting the chemicals out of the food for our daughters was really the biggest priority. And, and then from there, we grew organically, you know, no pun intended, you know, as the community said, well, I, yeah, I'd like to get some of this, you know, it started with friends and family and they said, well, can I get some meat and can I get some veggies and can I get 
some milk. And so we grew just out of, you know, the, from the need of the community. And as that grew, we grew with it. So it's been a right. really incredible process. And then two years in, we realized how toxic the commercial feed industry was. And it was actually a long story. A buddy of mine was having feed locally blended and we had both of our feed tested and it was riddled with chemicals and went to the USDA website. And there was like a six page of, of synthetic, you know, non-organic ingredients that were allowable in certified organic feeds. And we were super frustrated because it's so challenging not knowing what's in your food. And yeah. you're trying so hard to get the chemicals out of your food. And b because of labeling and because of uh, marketing, it's so difficult to know what we're eating. So we started sourcing fresh fruits and vegetables that were actually waste from a lot of the local farms and distributors. And in doing that, we realized over 70% of the stuff that was being thrown out was still beautiful. So we started yeah. a food pantry. And so currently we're, what, six years in as far as the farm is concerned. And about three years in on the food pantry, we do over 50,000 pounds a week of food to families in need through the pantry. And that's right. our produce. And, uh, and then the farm obviously is, is growing like crazy. We do probably 10,000 pounds of meat a year and, and about a 50 member CSA overall, uh, as far nice. as quantity is concerned. Although so, more and more we're selling directly and doing less and less from a CSA just because you know, folks like to come out to the farm anyway, it gives them an excuse. Right. So that was a, sounds like a big jump. Uh, do you come from a farming family? That's a great question. So farming is in my blood. I grew up on a family homestead, uh, but moved out and started training with the army when I was 15. And so we were, both were in the military at the be very beginning of our lives and then spent a bunch of years overseas and then came back and, and the land was a way to reconnect and heal and you know, get back on track, figure out, get back to our roots. Right, right. I understand. And it's probably, um, like you say, it's probably... By healing, also to work with your hands and and and, and see the results of your efforts, uh, literally growing up and 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 feeding your family with it. So, it absolutely is. It saved my life for sure. And uh, coming back, it was really challenging to adapt to the civilian sector, and this was was incredible. I mean, it came at the perfect right. time, and we work with a lot of veterans because of that. And we take in a lot of vets that are just coming back from deployment and yeah. help them reconnect with the, the land, with the Farmer Veteran mm. Coalition. And uh, I'm just very, very thankful that we had that to get started. Actually, uh, one of my students uh, was also a veteran. And because uh, I, I teach part time in a small, small community school, and she's, also, she's trying to start a program similar to use with veterans. Uh, food, feed them healthy food. Um, yeah. Is that okay if I give her your contacts? Absolutely. So, you know, maybe she can learn. She can Absolutely. learn from you. We would love she, to to help. Yeah, even if it's just giving her some information on what to avoid and some some pit stops and some bumps in the road that she right, can, right. that she can get okay. around. Absolutely, for sure. We'd love to. We're always Great, yeah. happy to reach out and help. Vets. Yeah, I offer to help, but I haven't heard from her for a while, so. Um, but I would get in touch. So uh, yours being a working farm, can you sort of describe that environment? Like uh, what kind of animals do you grow all your own food? Um, these kind of things. Yeah, so we, it's more a question of what we don't have really. Mm -hmm. um, so we have goats that every morning I go out and mill. 
and we have chickens and turkeys and ducks and quail for the eggs. I feel like I'm missing some in there. Chucker and did I say geese? We have some geese. And then we have rabbits and cows. We have a donkey right now. We have sheep. And goats. And pigs. <laughs> right. And, yeah. <laughs> so we raise, we raise, oh gosh, let's see. So from a livestock perspective, we have a super diverse farm. So we have a very large herd of yak and one of our passions is livestock powered farms. So wow. we do, we've got a breeding program and a training program because yak provide incredible fiber, wonderful meat, wonderful milk quality and their transportation. You can ride them, they're pack animals. Uh, so we've got a herd of yak, we've got a herd of cow, we raise uh, a lot of mini, we've got mini Dexters, mini Zebu. Uh, we've got a herd of goat, we've got sheep. And then we do a, quite a few rabbits, about 2,000 rabbits a year. And then wow. we've got a very large assortment of poultry. We do ducks and geese and chickens, of course. But we also do quail and chucker and peacock and pheasant. And we actually do Chinese red goldens as well. Um, but the whole like, idea behind everything that we do is, is an integrated solution. So we have uh, pigs that help turn the compost. And we do miniature pigs because on a small farm, most of what we're doing is training uh, folks, uh, helping them develop their own homestead. That's our mission is right. to help people become independent. So dependence on us is really no different from Safeway. I mean, I, it's better because it's local and we've got regenerative food systems in place, but the whole idea is that people are no longer dependent. So our focus, as opposed to selling someone a rabbit, we had a gentleman come over yesterday and wanna buy four rabbits and it was the second time he's been buying the last two weeks. And so what I talked to him about was, was work trading on the farm, showing up, letting us teach him how to raise his own rabbits, grabbing a couple cages and and letting us give him a breeding pair so we can teach mm -hmm. him to get independent so he's no longer dependent on us. So he can not right. only support his family, but his small community. So that's, so that's our focus from a livestock perspective. Mm -hmm. right. And then we've got, mm -hmm. from a crop perspective, we've got over 250 different medicinal herbs. We've got a 200 tree fruit orchard. We've got a super large uh, CSA, terrace gardening, lots of huviculture mounds and swale systems in place, but really focusing on um, yield planting and soil restoration as well as vermiculture and, uh, and mycorrhizal, making sure that, because sustainability is what everybody seems to focus on, but all sustainability really means is we're no longer going backward. Sustainability just means we're treading water and it's really the beginning of, you know, I, I don't think being satisfied with sustainability is even close to where we need to be. Regenerative food systems is really what we need to be focused on systems that are healing the soil, healing the water, healing, the, yeah. you know, making progress as opposed to just no longer going backward. So, so that's what's, our focus overall is, is healing the land. What's, what's CSA just out of interest? Uh, CSA stands for community supported agriculture. So right. instead of coming out and buying 10 pounds of meat a week, they, the clients will buy a membership where they have a 10 pound a week, uh, membership for a six month period of time, for example. And that way it allows us to plan and budget out what we're doing for the year. It, it's, right. it, it saves them incredible amounts of money. It's over 50% off of the retail price. So by buying in bulk and committing to the farm, whether it's meat or vegetables, we have a meat CSA and a veggie CSA. Uh, it allows us to plan our harvest. It allows us to plan our freezer space and it allows the client to save over 50% off of retail. So that's Excellent. the model that we use. Right, right. It's a uh, market's a very common thing uh, done here in America. 
mm. uh, we, we have quite a few programs here in town in Austin. Uh, we have uh, four urban farms and they all do CSA and there's um, ad additional organic farms uh, just outside of town, maybe 20, 30 miles and they do they do this program. It's a very um, efficient way to control income from the farmer's point of view because for them it's sometimes not worth it to go to the farmer's market because yeah. you have to rent the space. There's, you know, there's always some waste factor. Uh, so CSA is a more effective way to handle, yeah. uh, you know, that. So um, now I understand. Uh, back to Tyler and um, Elizabeth. I understand you process and harvest your own animals. Uh, I know in Texas farmers are not allowed to do that. They have to truck the animals to the USDA approved facility, which typically stresses the animal. How is it different in Oregon? That's a great question. So generally speaking, in fact, across the country, um, you know, that's what that's a USDA requirement is it's got to be processed in a USDA facility. The beauty is, is everywhere in the country that I'm aware of, people are allowed to butcher their own livestock. And mm. we've worked in depth with a USDA inspector. We've got a very close relationship and he's helped us create programs um, and fine tune programs so that people are allowed to with integrity uh, process animals on site. So the way that that works is, for example, so you're allowed to process your own pig. However, you can't process a pig and then sell it to me. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So you would buy a pig from me or a quarter of a pig or even a tenth of a pig, depending on the number of people that were interested. You would buy it live and then we would process it on site. And because you own a tenth of it or a quarter of it or a half of it or the entire thing, you're allowed legally to process it on site. And as long as we maintain an ownership share, we can assist in that processing. Okay. Does that make sense? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know it was... Um, maybe I shouldn't say that because I don't want to get you in trouble. But uh, so, so that's the way to get around the requirements. To, uh, I mean, you can yeah. say it. We can always cut it out. You can definitely yeah, yeah. ask the question. Right, yeah. right, right. So, so what, what, was what, it, was that was that a way for you to get around the the USDA requirement, uh, or is it just to? Them. Yeah. So, so one of the things that's really important to us as a, a when it comes to livestock and management and nutrition is to understand that the USDA and the small farmer we have the same goal, mm. and the goal is to keep people safe and healthy. And this has been yeah. our conversation all along with our USDA inspector. And, and, and this is why we've got such a wonderful relationship with them is because we share the same goal. Now we have mm -hmm. different beliefs as far as how that should be accomplished. And we certainly have different ideas of what the, the best techniques are. Um, there are, there are lots of different values, but the goal is the same. And so as long as we understand that we can work within the existing system. Mm. So the existing system is designed so that people can harvest their own animals and keep the chemicals out of their meats. Yeah, and right, all right. we want to do is is take that system and utilize it to serve the community, if that makes sense. Right. So, right. so, so it's just a matter of understanding the rules and the regulations. Now, there are animals that are USDA exempt. So you know, Oregon has the, the poultry bill where you can process uh, up to 2,000 birds yourself and you can sell those, you know, without, without um, having a USDA butcher do it. Uh, yak and alpaca, which are two animals that we process, are both USDA exempt. 
So we have an ODA processor do that, and they can do that on site, which is wonderful. Because the transportation of the animal absolutely uh, is stressful, and those stress mm. hormones, you know, that adrenaline, those, the adrenals, I mean, that's toxic. And so yeah. when you transport an animal to a facility, that's one of the reasons why we don't do it. So any right. animal that does fall under USDA guidelines like beef or, uh, or pork, there are two ways. Either people can come butcher it on site themselves, or they can buy it while it's live and buy a percentage of it, and then we can have an ODA guy come and do it because they own the animal, so they can contract that out, if that makes okay. sense. Right, right. Uh, you must have been a politician in the past. You always say, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Only when it's a great question, Alan. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. You wouldn't lie to me, right? Not on video. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> not, not on record. Right. Uh, well, you know, you pretty much can tell where I'm going with that because there's been plenty of ex bad examples where uh, you see the uh, USDA, the local police raiding farms uh, or clubs, private clubs, like in California and other places, and they uh, <clears throat> they kill the animals on the spot. Uh, yeah. They they drag people to prison i mean that is outrageous and so um i am glad that you have found a way to work with your local um, usda inspectors so they don't give you any trouble uh, do you have any feedback on what happens in other places what's your take on that well it's certainly the history has certainly been one of the reasons why we've been so focused on working directly with the usda and mm -hmm. And, and finding commonalities. And sometimes it's challenging. I mean, obviously there are things that we don't agree on and, and finding ways to work together is, can be challenging at times. But I think with an organization like that, you know, to understand the reasoning behind it really helps keep things in perspective and just making sure that we understand in depth the law. Uh, mm. and, and with any new farmer, what I encourage them to do is really understand the intricacies of the law because most of the time when we understand all of the facets, it allows us to work within the legal guidelines. And, you know, that was what we talked with our inspector about was if, if we're transparent with you, we can work together to make sure that your guidelines are met and we can operate within, with, within our value system. Right. And then everybody's happy. So he's, I mean, our guy is incredible. He sits down and goes over our contracts with us to make sure everything's legal. But we reach mm -hmm. out to him on a regular basis. And we do that specifically so that he's in the loop and we can get his guidelines and his feedback and, and learn how to operate within the existing system. Because they're large. There's no way I can do battle with the USDA. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, I, I can't beat them. And so we might as well really understand the way that they work so that we can work together with them. Because the truth is they're there. I mean, the intent of the organization was originally to keep people safe and to work with farmers. And I think if we get back right. to that, it really, you know, there's hope. So are you uh, USDA certified organic or? <laughs> no, we're not. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, I'm not. I, the organic certification process and practice is pretty watered down for us. So right. we, we've never been concerned with that certification just because uh, the way that we produce is, is uh, well, far exceeds. And so we've just have, our clients haven't been worried about it because they're able to come here and feel the soil and watch the practices and be a part of yeah. the process. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's what uh, something I highly recommend to our listeners is 
uh, go to the farmer's market, meet the farmers, and ask for a visit to the farm to, uh, to, to actually watch how things are done. Um, a friend of mine, local here, um, used to be a chef, and now he's a farmer, and um, he's my source for eggs and, and ducks and chicken and this, and nothing beats that. And he may not be as extensive as you are, because um, he does only animals, he doesn't uh, grow any food, so he doesn't work on the on the land itself. But okay. um, I'm very um, I'm very assured that the quality is there. I've been to the farm multiple times. I've seen how things are done. Uh, once in a while, they do dinners, so I you know make sure to go there and eat. Uh, you know whether it's a pig or duck or rabbit he has a rabbit um, dinner coming up this weekend actually I won't be able to go I'll be in Colorado but so um, and, and it's also uh, for the listeners it's also a way for you to support your local farmers because um, from my discussion with him being a farmer is not only hard physically but it's also not easy financially a lot of people assume oh well you know you charge so much compared to a grocery store but that's what it takes for you to survive, right? Absolutely. And coming out to the farm is really the only way. Yeah. And the, the other piece to that is farming is difficult phys- physically. So farming is not only difficult physically and financially, but it's difficult emotionally. Mm. And so the client visiting the farm and, and spending some time and energy, whether it's working with the farmer in the field or just, just taking a look at a, and appreciating the facility, it's, it means a lot. And, mm-hmm. and farming is difficult. It absolutely is difficult. One of the most difficult things that we've ever done. And, and it's thankless. And so coming out to the farm yeah. means a lot to a farmer. And I mm-hmm. think if consumers did it more, I think they would be much more aware of what they were putting into their bodies, much more conscious of it. Uh, and the other piece is that no one's perfect. You know, no farm does everything perfectly. And the idea behind farm visits, and we encourage this with everyone that asks us where they should buy food, is we need to make sure that wherever we're purchasing food aligns with our value systems. So if one of your core values is that the animals are treated well and named and and are on pasture, then going out and seeing how the animals react to the farmer is critical because that doesn't go on a label. And and even if it did, you wouldn't want to trust it anyway. I mean, don't don't you want to know what you're putting into your body. And the only way to do that is to smell the soil, to get right. your hands in the dirt. And right. so the idea is to find an organization that's in alignment with your values, what, whatever's mm-hmm. important to you. And if that's soil rebuilding and, and water quality and, and management, you know, effective management of resources, then go right. out there and look at the systems that are in place so that you can be confident. That's the only way that we can be confident that what we're purchasing is in alignment with our values. You're right. absolutely correct. So we, we have a little bit in common in the fact that uh, I was raised for a few years on my grandparents' farm, and it was a very, very small farm. There was um, basically they were uh, working the land for the, the land owner, and they were allowed to live there and have a little garden, just survival garden pretty much. But that's where also where I learned um, the importance of freshly picked fresh you know mm-hmm. locally because she never used a pesticide she knew how to use uh you know uh, plants and, and bugs to kind of take care of things 
And one of my job was to go and um, pick the the slugs and the escargot from from the plants because they were destroying everything. Uh, so that was one of my jobs, you know, besides, uh, and she never really put us to work in the garden because um, I guess she was afraid we'd mess up. But once in a while, she'll tell us to go uh, pick a lettuce and wash it and, and, uh, and, and uh, the concept of picking your, go to the garden, pick your food, and within uh, 15 minutes, it's on the table. It's just something it's difficult to imagine in this country. But beautiful. Mm. I mean, what a way to live. Yes. And, yes. and my wife yes. treats me very similarly in the garden to how your mother treated you. I'm allowed to pick yeah. lettuce every now and then and pick the slugs off. But other than that, she doesn't let me touch much. I get to manage the livestock. It must, the livestock. So, it must have so done. Uh, it must have done your mother good because she's still alive, eh? <laughs> yeah. So um, she's the garden, and you're the the livestock manager, I guess. Primarily, yeah. She's a nutritional therapy practitioner, so she's I do. A she's also a fermentationist, and so she does. She has her own private practice, and she does a lot of individual consultation. Yeah. And, uh, so, so Heart to Heart Farms is the farm operation. She has her private practice, which is Heart to Heart Health. And, okay, and uh, I. I did invite Elizabeth separately, so we'd like to see you again to talk about what you do. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. that'd be great. Um, all right, be, going back to, um, I heard that you were uh, recently raised by vegans, well-meaning vegans. Um, can you explain the situation and, and explain your point of view? Because um, strangely enough, I teach at the vegetarian and vegans cooking school do you and, really and sometimes my my students give me a hard time to say you're a paleo chef how can you teach vegan i said food is food doesn't yeah. matter all i have to do is just take out the protein and then you know i'm a chef that's what i do right. uh but from your point of view it must um feel difficult to face this kind of accusation because basically they're calling you murderers right yeah, that was the general gist of it. It uh, and it started the the silly thing was that there were two pieces that really started it. It started because we had a runt piglet. Now, the farming industry, when you have a runt piglet, the the runt piglet won't survive. It's going to get pushed off of the teats by the bigger piglet and it's going to starve to death. And so the farming industry takes a runt and they call them, which is a fancy name for kill them. Hmm. And we decided that we didn't want to do that. And so we we foster, we offered this piglet up for foster for someone to take it into their home and raise it and give it a chance because just because it's a runt at a baby doesn't mean it can't live an incredibly productive life. It might be a little bit smaller, but it has, it doesn't need to die. No. And so we put it up on Facebook and we had lots of people that were very interested. The community responded wonderfully. In fact, we've got this great foster piglet program now that's in, it's been running for a year straight and our survival rates are through the roof. Because mother piglets just are pretty clumsy in general, and they if you don't use a commercial furrowing crate, then they'll roll on their piglets, and there are some losses associated with that. So the, the idea was to increase humanity and give this runt piglet a chance. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, for some reason, uh, stirred up emotion, and then there was a vegan uh, a group that found one of our butchering videos, and they took the video and the butchering video, I was in the process of teaching because there are nerves in the back 
uh, where, you, where you cut the leg tendon to hang the animal. There are nerves in the back of the animal. And I was in the process of teaching in this class how when you poke those nerves, the, the, the energy, the electrical impulses in the legs can still be active long after the animal's dead. So mm. the animal had been shot, the animal had been bled out, the animal had been dead for a long period of time. And I was with a blade poking this tendon in the back of the leg before I hung the animal up. And as I was poking it, the animal was kicking and I was showing the, the danger or potential hazard associated with that. Now this was a sheep, so it wasn't particularly dangerous, but I have a friend that almost got killed by doing the same thing with a bull. The bull actually reared back and kicked him and it had been dead almost an hour uh, by the time it was a bull elk and they, they were hunting. And they kicked all of his teeth into the back of his throat, almost killed the guy. And so I was in the process of teaching in this class, but they had clipped this video and voiced over it and made this campaign that we were hanging animals up alive. <laughs> and that's where this uproar came from. And understandably, mm. I mean, if we were hanging animals up alive, I mean, there's a huge problem with that. You know, I mean, not just from a humanity perspective, but, you know, a legal perspective, that's a huge issue. Uh, and that's what created this, this massive movement. And it was a six month period of time. We, we received over a hundred death threats a day. Uh, the FBI yeah. came out to the farm. Um, the ALF, I mean, they were, they were publishing videos online of how to raid our farm. Um, yeah. so it was, it was really intense and we're all vets and, uh, and so we were all pretty triggered. I mean, we're all, most of us are combat vets. And so we, you know, and we're all very well armed. So I just called the county and said, you know, look, uh, I just want you to know that if they show up here, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, and, and the, they did a really thorough investigation. The county was wonderful. The FBI was wonderful. Um, and it, but it lasted about six months. It was, it was really an intense process. And the, the, challenging part was it was so hurtful because I believe that if we could align with most mm -hmm. of the vegetarian and vegan community, I mean, our whole goal is to, to increase humanity. Our whole right. goal is to get rid of the, the atrocities that are, that are an everyday practice in most of the commercial meat industry right. and the way that animals are treated and the way that they're butchered and the way that they're fed and the way that they're caged. I mean, the whole thing is disgusting, which is why we do what we do. And if we could find some common ground we could make incredible pro progress, but it's so much easier to pick a small farmer out and target them than it is go after one of these yeah. big commercial meat, you know, yeah. Yeah, of course. one of these big commercial meat producers. Yeah, of course. And their message so, was, you know, how you say food is food, their message was murder is murder. And it doesn't matter yeah. if you're giving them a better quality of life, you know, you're still murdering them. And, and that was the hard part for us. The thing is, and I've had discussion with my students is, uh, some of them are extremely hardcore and, and pretty aggressive about it. And uh, I guess one of their reasons is that they, they see farm animals as pets and you don't kill pets, you don't eat pets. And, uh, and to me that, you know, being raised on the farm, I know that animals are considered to be food on legs and it's just part of life, this process yeah. of life. That's, that's how people survive. We are, uh, uh, as human beings, we eat meat. I mean, that's part of our heritage. So there's no reason to hide behind it, whether they agree or not. I mean, I respect their position, but I will not allow them to force their opinions on me and vice versa. I will not force my opinions on them. Um, so it is difficult to 
to deal with that uh, in my limited, you know, uh, position. But I, I can't imagine how difficult it must be for, for people like you that are trying to do the right thing and feed people, especially with the, the, the food pantry and having to deal with this kind of harassment. Yeah, it certainly was challenging, but we learned a lot. And uh, I, I would say overall, we're incredibly thankful for the mm -hmm. for, for the experience because we came out of it much, much stronger, much more clear uh, as far as how we will deal with situations like that in the future. And it mm -hmm. brought us much closer as a community. The community rallied in a beautiful way and we had an unbelievable amount of support. And it really anchored our beliefs that, you know, that we are doing what we value. You know, we're in alignment with our value system and, mm -hmm. and that the community is really on board with that. So, and, and right. we have some phenomenal um, vegan and vegetarian clients. I, I'd say it's, it's definitely a rarity because we, we, don't, uh, we don't spend much energy in that community. Um, in fact, right. we no. really discourage people just because of the potential for, uh, for conflict. Right. And then there's no reason to try to appease them because no matter what you do, it's not going to work. So uh, on the side comment, uh, I have a couple of chef friends that live and work in Oregon and have been, uh, they've been telling me to come over. So now I have another reason to come over. Yeah. Oh, come out. We'd love to host you. You come out. We, we can put you up for a couple of days for sure. We've got extra space. I'll just make sure to bring my boots, my, uh, you know, <laughs> so I can so I, I can walk around the the paddies and so on. Um, sure. Okay, so moving on, um, let's talk about your family pantry, which is a great, great, great project. This is the one that Nora was very excited about. Um, can you tell us? So you're the founders of Good Neighbor Family Pantry. Can you tell us about it? Yeah. So when we started our farm, we had a lot of reliance on the commercial feed industry. So we, in the early days, weren't sure how to feed the animals other than buying feed. Now, even if it was organic feed, which is normally over twice as expensive, um, so we're looking at 20 to $30 per bag um, on the animals, you know, they, there's a lot of processed food. It's, it's, there's a lot of fillers. There's a lot of oils that the animals don't normally have in their diet. And what we saw with the animals was a lot what I was seeing with my clients. Um, and just like people when we're on a highly processed food diet, our health suffers. We get diabetes, we get heart problems, we, we have cancer, we, you know. The same thing was happening with the animals. And right now it's, yeah. that's still what's happening with the animals. And we, didn't, for many reasons, want to continue on that path. One, we were losing money as a farm, left and right, um, mm -hmm. not only through the feed costs, but through the veterinary costs, because all the animals were not thriving. They had complications. Um, giving birth, there was many complications, and it was a very sharp learning curve uh, our first couple of years. And so we knew that we had to change track, but we weren't sure how we were going to do it. <laughs> And we got into the discussion of what happens to all this produce that the grocery stores don't take because it's imperfect. And we were kind of led with that question through some of the documentaries we watched. And 
Um, so we started driving around Portland and asking different stores, you know, what do they do with their produce when it's imperfect? And we came upon a distributor who said that if we came 6 a.m. every Friday morning, he would give us whatever scraps he had. And we started coming every, every morning, Friday on the clock, we'd be there. And week after week, he saw that we were reliable and we were picking it up. And he started giving us more and more and more. And we, one day, they gave us this huge pallet of perfectly ripe bananas. Now, we couldn't, we couldn't understand why at first they were giving us all this perfect produce. And then we learned that, you know, grocery stores won't take in produce once it's ripe because they don't want fruit flies. So all of this was going, otherwise, going to the dump. Um, so we picked it all up and, you know, all of our animals were, at that point, doing great. Their health was substantially improving. Their skin, their coats, their fur um, was incredible, was beautiful. And so they were all happy and healthy. And we had this huge pallet of beautiful bananas. And we kind of looked at each other. We're like, you know, I wonder if people in our community could use this. And so hmm. we put out a post on our Facebook, um, which was starting to grow at that point, and asked if anyone out there could use some, some produce. And we were flooded with hundreds of emails that first night. And we cried because some of these stories were they're pretty profound. Um, these moms who couldn't remember the last time they were able to afford fresh produce because they've been reliant on food banks that only had processed food. Um, yeah. And they knew that their health was suffering because of it. And so we just opened the doors to the community. We, we started calling it Free Vegetable Friday where we would pick up the loads of produce and we would just let everyone come and glean as much as they wanted before we took the rest of the feed to the animals. And, you know, it was a very a short period of time where it kept growing and growing and growing. And so that, uh, that led to, of course, a lot of traffic on our dead end street, which our neighbors did not appreciate. Okay. Um, you know, and, and around the same time, we were we were reaching out to the media because we wanted people to understand we had no idea the need in our community was so high. Hmm. And, and I, I believe that this is, this is nationwide. We, we have a hunger problem. Um, and so we try to get people on board to try to get the word out that there was so much produce. We were getting more and more from, from um, the grocery store distributor. And we just wanted to make sure people got it. If they needed food, they could get it. And no one would take our story. No one would, would run an article or do a, a new story on it. And then finally the neighbors got so upset that they started calling the media. And we finally got on the news. <laughs> and they ran a story that said, you know, are they really, these farmers, are they really do-gooders? And, uh, but that was what was needed because we got, we were able to get our word out there. And Costco called us and said, we love what we are doing. We would love to get on board. You know, we've got four distributors, you know, can you pick up from them? And mm -hmm. so we, we started having, um, you know, daily truck runs, and that was kind of hindering our function as a farm. So we yeah. decided to separate it off as a, um, its own entity, a nonprofit that could be run by the community, by the volunteers. And, um, and so that's, that's where we're at now. Well, it sounds like uh, you, both the farm and uh, and this um, program uh, requires a lot of um, 
physical help? Uh, how do you do you get mostly volunteers, or uh, some of these people employees, or uh, how do you manage? Because uh, there's got to be lots of people involved in in both operations, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great question. Uh, so we have zero employees, which is been one of the biggest challenges is our commitment is that all of the money goes back into the community. So we are very, very active in the uh, coordination of volunteers and, and partners. So folks mm -hmm. that, are, that really want to do this with their life. And the process has been incredibly beautiful. So our, my, our father, my father-in-law, drives a truck for us. And it used to be that we did everything personally. We had a handful of folks that were here interning. Hmm. Because one of the things that we do is allow people to come here and learn and study. So they're, hmm. they're in the process of learning the system. And so we would utilize the interns and, and then just a lot of time and energy on our behalf getting it started. I and mean, we did all the runs ourselves for the first two, three years uh, before we built up a volunteer base. But yeah, now we have probably 50 to 75 volunteers a week that come out on a pretty regular basis and, wow. and support the movement for sure. And that's the only reason we can keep right. it moving. There was a there was also a story that I um, it really touched me is when you talk about this man that came over and he could not afford to buy whether it was meat or food I don't remember and uh, you basically offered to trade um, work for food can you tell us about this Yeah, the work trade program started really from that one individual and he came out and his passion he just watched a bunch of documentaries and his passion was getting the chemicals out of the meat for his daughters he right. had two daughters and and the hormone levels he was very concerned with it but he didn't have any food and he asked if there was anything he could do around the farm or sorry he didn't have any money right he didn't have any money to buy food so Especially the organic food, because if you're going to buy free-range, pastured, you know, local meat, I mean, you're, it's expensive. It's outrageous. You go to yeah. New Seasons and you get pastured bison, you know, something, anything other than commercial beef, you know, it's it's between sixteen and twenty plus dollars a pound. Yeah. And for a for a father that's struggling to put put food on the table, you know, and and in between jobs, so he was a construction worker, and he asked if there's anything he could do around the farm to offset that cost. And we, we put our heads together and we, our barn was falling down. We needed some, some renovation and we didn't have the skills to do it. And it was the purest transaction we've ever experienced. We got three times the value that we ever would have received in cash for this cow. And he was able to work on his day off, days off, work around his other jobs, take no money out of his budget and provide an incredible service to the community. And it was just, it was so beautiful. So we now set aside 50% of everything that we raise for families that are struggling financially that they can come and they can work trade for. And wow. we've expanded that to include our courses, our classes, uh, all of our training programs, our barrel gardens, uh, just about everything that we have available people can work trade for. And right. that's a big piece of what keeps this system going because as I said before, we don't have any employees. And right. so all the help that we can get, it really makes a big difference. And people feel good being a part of a solution, that the, that the work that they're doing is helping feed people in need. That is fantastic. Um, um, going back a little bit to the veterans, 
do you get a lot of veterans coming to help you on the farm, uh, both for uh, for the food, but also for the healing side of it? We do. And one of the things that we've found is that is that when we come back, most of us enlisted to serve a mission and make a difference. Uh, whether or not what we actually did uh, was in alignment with our values, that was why we started to serve. That was why we we, we signed up, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then when we come back home, there are very few opportunities to serve like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we, you end up working behind a cash register doing something and you feel hollow. All of the values that you served for and the camaraderie is gone. And mm -hmm. so this is a way where people can come and and contribute, can make a difference, can, can make their work mean something, whether they're working you know, on a project for, uh, for trade or whether they're just volunteering. We had an unbelievable gentleman come last night, a Marine, came back from being overseas, um, a wonderful guy, but he's doing exactly that. He said, you know, my work is hollow and I don't get to make a difference and I just want to come out here and work on the land and, and th this is going to be my therapy. And I said, well, is there anything that you want in trade? Is there anything we can give back to you for all that time and energy that you're giving? And he said, what I would love is to take every hour that I work and you help a family that can't afford or isn't able to come work in the process. So he's working and logging his hours and actually donating it to a family in need. So every time he works enough to earn you know, a cow, then we'll take, you know, applications and take four families and give them each a quarter. And that's how he's spending his time. But it allows us because, you know, our goal, most of the veterans that I've met, they, their whole focus is to make a difference in other people's lives and mm -hmm. allows us to continue that service even when we're not able to be overseas serving our country that way. Mm, that's fantastic. Um, not only you must be proud of it, but you also must feel very good to contribute that way. And I can't. I'm. I can't. I'm getting emotional now, so um, I don't want to. I don't want to cry on screen. So I'm. I'm gonna hold. Uh, <clears throat> uh, hey, don't laugh at me. I'm an emotional guy. It. It is. All right. I've <laughs> moved away from the camera. So you good. can't see my tears. Alan, you know, I, I relate to you on so many levels. It. This has been my medicine. When I came back from being overseas, I was really broken. And it was mm. super challenging for me. Um, and I almost didn't pull through. In fact, I don't think I would have without, without this woman and, and this farm. Um, you know, we lose more guys coming back, you know, after coming back home than we do overseas. Right. Because the transition is so challenging. And finding a community, you know, the Farmer Veteran Coalition that I mentioned earlier, um, when we first started farming, I got in contact with them through another vet and they took us on this retreat and just helped us feel super welcome. And the statistics of how healing working the land is for veterans just blew my mind. And, and, and we decided to commit uh, to, to making that a big priority in everything that we do right. as that community. Because truth be told is I, I wanted still to be overseas. You know, I still wanted to be serving. I didn't want to be overseas, especially after right. her. But well, it's but another way to serve. And it's important. We as a species, yeah. we have the desire. For 200,000 years, we've been tribal. Right. And right. the biggest lie that's ever been told is that if something bad happens to you, it somehow doesn't affect me. Mm. See, we're, we're a community. Right. And, and when blessings circulate, it helps. It, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. Right. It helps everyone. And, and, yeah, and you, then you help fix hunger 
and it and it fixes you know, you help people you fix self esteem you lift people up we're encouraging people they're they're earning their food instead of just getting a donation that increases yeah. their 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 self worth and their value the nutrition increases their energy that energy increases their production that production increases the likelihood that they're gonna they're they're gonna go on and further education and the further education reduces crime I mean we're we're crazy if we think this is just about food right this right is and so and, much and, bigger than that. And they feel useful. They they don't feel left behind. Right. Uh, God knows the system does not support veterans, right? <laughs> am I right? Or am I right? <laughs> the system is trying very hard, and I'm very thankful for the VA and everything that they offer. Uh, I I feel like we've been very blessed uh, with the resources that they've made available. But the truth is that they're that they're overwhelmed. That they're in there are so many veterans right now that need help. That mm -hmm. as hard as they try there are a lot of us that slip through the cracks and it is a challenging system. Any system that large that serves that many is far from perfect. Uh, right. So, you know, even the blessings that they give, it's, it's super challenging and it takes a lot of work. So it is nice to be able to have uh, some opportunities to serve and, and we guide folks right. and teach them how to work with the VA because we've been there. So it's, right. it's just another way that we can help. Yeah. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand that in, in some cases, more veterans die after they come back than they do, you know, through depression and PTSD and so on, than they do during the wars, actually. Yeah, that's very true. Right. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Can you, you have uh, upcoming events, you always have classes and so on and so forth. Can you tell us about the upcoming events? Yeah, we have uh, quite a few. Uh, where do we, where do we start? <laughs> We've got quite a few upcoming events. We do weekly petting zoos and birthday parties. We do lots and lots and lots of farm <laughs> education tours. Uh, when it comes to bigger events, we, we host uh, a petting zoo at the Mother Earth News Fair. And a big piece of everything that we do is getting people connected with their food. In mm -hmm. August, we launch an extensive uh, farm-to-table process or program and that begins with courses on butchering so we're going to be teaching butchering I taught probably 500 people to butcher their own livestock last year so we're launching a new phase of that in August and teaching people to butcher every different type of livestock and then we're going to follow that up with a cooking series on you know once you butcher it and get it into the freezer what are the best ways to prepare it to make sure that everything is utilized everything from making blood sausage to cooking lungs because there are all of these incredible recipes. I mean, there was a time when we utilized every part of the animal. Yeah. Uh, the organs especially. I mean, you take a look at any wild animal, when they down prey, the first thing they do is they open the belly and they consume the organs because that's where so much of the nutrition is. And mm -hmm. we as a culture, you know, at least in North America, we, organs are we, – we eat the meat and we discard the organs. And – and and we discard the bone and we discard the hide and we discard, you know, I mean, we utilize such a small part of the animal and our whole focus is to make sure that nothing gets wasted, that every piece gets utilized, whether that's bones for bone broth or the bro the bones that are not used for broth are ground into, into bone meal for the soil. Everything has a purpose. And so we're launching, we've launched this farm to table series and all that information is available up on Facebook. Um, we also have uh, three-month, six-month, one-year, and two-year internship programs, and we're going into the next intern internship cycle. So anybody that's really serious about learning the system and learning homesteading should definitely reach out to us by Facebook. The website is good. You can always send us an email through the website, but Facebook is probably the best way 
to uh, to keep in touch with us on a daily basis. And that's just www.heartheartfarms.com or uh, facebook.com forward slash heartheartfarms. All right. So did you go through all the events? Um, Elizabeth, are you teaching cooking as well? Yeah, I teach fermentation and herbology and um, Oregon natives. I, I do a, a lot of different classes. Um, and usually my classes are custom. So uh, I, have, I have a set, um, all my classes up on the website, and then people with a group of four or more uh, can schedule a time or they can schedule a, a weekend. Um, mm. And then we, we can book out a series of classes depending on what that group wants to do. Mm. So what's the closest city to where you are? We are right in between Newburgh and Sherwood, which are both small towns, 25,000 people each. And we're about okay. 30 minutes from Portland, just okay. southwest. So really right. not far even from Portland. Yeah, I do know a couple of chefs in Portland. So I guess now I don't have a choice. I'll have to come. That's right. Because <laughs> last, year, last year we interviewed another great farm, uh, farmer, um, Mark, do you remember uh, White? White Farms, yeah. yeah. Well, um, in, in, in Georgia, in southern Georgia, and he, he has a wonderful, huge uh, animal farm as well. And, uh, you know, his, uh, I, so I went to visit, spent a week there, and they were very um, uh, nice to show me around and to... I mean, I ate the food that was grown there. I mean, I lived in the middle of the woods. There was chicken roaming around, and I mean, it was it was incredible. And one comment he made that was very interesting. He says, "I don't really grow animals. I grow grass." Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and everything else. Exactly. Yeah. The cycle, the cycle of nature. He, you know, he moved his cattle because the the main is cattle. Uh, then he has some pigs, and he has a lot of chickens, and he has goats and sheep, and so on and so forth. But the main uh, business is cattle, and what he does, he moves them from pasture to pasture. Now he has a huge property, uh, and of course they need to feed on the grass. Then after the, then he moves them to the next spot, and, and brings in the chicken, and chicken feed on the the poop, and they fertilize the ground. They eat the worms and everything, and then you know, and the cycle goes on and, and, yeah. and on. Yeah, so, and they eat the parasites out of the manure as well. So it's it's right. a wonderful system. Right, right. And speaking of which, uh, I love the way you explain how you clean up the 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 land by uh, bringing like too many goats. Yeah. Can you explain that? So, yeah, absolutely. When we first bought the property it was covered with invasives and we used mob grazing so you bring in more animals than the land should handle in a very small area and what happens is that forces them to instead of being picky about what they eat they consume everything because there's this kind of panic mentality so you bring them in and then you rest the land and we brought them in and we rested the land and we brought them in and we rested the land and four or five cycles into it most of the invasives were completely eradicated and when people ask what we farm, I mean, really, in a nutshell, that's probably the most common question we get is, what do you farm? And we farm soil because from good soil comes incredibly healthy animals, 
comes nutritionally dense produce. I mean, everything comes from the soil. And part of the challenge is you, you, most of the soil, most of the farmland has been not only depleted, but it's been stripped and replanted and stripped and replanted and stripped and replanted. Every, all of the mycorrhizal and the vermiculture activity, it's all been killed because we've turned it upside down. And our whole focus is to shift that, to turn that up on its end and say, if we rebuild the soil, if we reestablish the mycorrhizal, you know, the mycelial cultures in the soil, if we reestablish the vermiculture activity, if we add organic matter uh, and build that soil, not only are the plants going to be nutritionally dense, the, the grasses are going to be in much higher quality, the animals are going to get the nutrition that they need. People don't realize it takes 16 heads of cabbage today to equal the nutrient content of one head of cabbage in 1952. 16 Man. to 1. Why? Because chemical, you know, most commercial fertilizers have three, three primary ingredients, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Right of hundreds of minerals that our body needs, we've got three. Why? Because we're using commercial fertilizer instead of building the soil with organic matter. So we use uh, comfrey, chop and drop methods. We we plant in permaculture guilds um, just to make sure that you because know, the idea is to rebuild ecosystems so that we're not having to manage everything so that it manages itself because nature has been managing itself for for millions of years. Right. Uh, this gentleman's name is Will Harris. A white, white oak farm in the southern uh, Georgia. Uh, okay. Big property. Uh, he uh, was in the process of buying another property and told me that it takes him at least three years to turn a conventional uh, ground into a fertile, live yeah. ground. You know, the and way that's three years so, probably of an intensive effort. I mean, it takes a right. lot of time. Yeah. And, and and meanwhile, he's not making any money because right. you know he's, he he won't allow his his cattle to go on the on those lands until right. yeah. they are ready for it. So when he when he um, takes his jeep around, he you know he goes and checks the quality of the the ground and, and so on and so forth. Uh, the rest uh, takes care of itself pretty much. I mean, he's got people helping him obviously to move the cattle around and and so on. But uh, and also another thing that. He does um, like you, but he actually has a processing fa facility on the property that is USD approved. So he has his own inspectors on site and so on and so forth. Great. So, that's so wonderful. That's, uh, so that's I'm one of the only he, ways to do it and sell by the pound yeah. uh, because, right. because then you can make sure that the animals are in a low stress environment the whole time. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Mark, your turn. <laughs> well, a quick question. I mean, how do you manage to do everything that you do and still have time for family? That is a great question. Great question. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, <laughs> in the beginning, it was, I think both with our military background, we didn't sleep much. <laughs> we slept maybe four hours a night. Um, and... We were passionate about what we did. So we, as a couple, we always worked together. Um, and and the, the first few years were pretty intense, pretty busy um, getting this established. But it was really rewarding at the same time because as we were living and eating off the land and outside doing a lot of the work, our health was naturally improving and our vitality was improving. And... Um, we, 
as our energy skyrocketed, we found that we had more time in the day to do things, uh, which we <laughs> utilized in the beginning. And since then, over these years, we've, we've really built our community and we could not do what we do on a scale that we do it without our community. Um, we developed solid relationships with a lot of people. We were, whenever we're able to help a family need, um, just the world works in mysterious ways. It comes back and all of a sudden we have someone that donates a ton of equipment that we needed to improve a certain process on the farm that we don't know how it all came together. That's really how it's been over the years is we give and and the universe gives back. So um, we, yeah, community, we couldn't do it without. So remind us, you have two girls, right? Children. Yeah, two daughters. I mean, one is, is 19, so we have one that's 15 left. Right. And then a lot and of godchildren. We have 12 and godchildren. The, and uh, I assume you, you put your girls to work on the farm as well, right? To kind of uh, get them into the... You know, that's a good... Uh, <laughs> the answer to that question is, is multifaceted. <laughs> so our focus with children in general, our children or others, is to have them to, to reignite a passion and excitement for farming. Mm -hmm. And with that, we've got to maintain balance, which can be challenging. Mm -hmm. So yeah. one of the things that I see a lot of people, or I hear a lot of people talk about, is that you know, their parents had a farm, and they were you know, working sun up to sundown, and there was no quality of life. And so they don't want to have anything to do with farming. Right, right. And that works against everything we're trying to create. Yeah. So what we've found is that if we can set the example of balance and, and use community to help support the mission, it allows us to set an example that people want to follow. Because there are very few people that want to work 6 a.m., to 10 p.m. And while we did that at the very beginning to establish the system, it was very important to us to get out of that mode so that we could set an example where people could look at it and say, you know, I'd really like that quality of life. Mm -hmm. So instead of hiring employees, we found partners and we've got an incredible young man, Joshua, who came to us four years ago and, and just wanted training and coaching. And he was in, I mean, incredible heart. I mean, this young man, dedication and integrity. And so we trained him up and he wanted to become a part of the system. So he bought into the partnership. And so he's got a 50% share in the pig partnership, for example. And so he runs that entire operation for 50%. So that frees us up from a time perspective. Um, we do the same thing with aquaponics. We do the same thing with a lot of the gardens. So allowing other people that, you know, we've got a young gal who was just out yesterday. Phenomenal. She contacted me a couple months back and said, I don't have any space. I really need to get the chemicals out of my family's food. I want to grow my own. If I come and manage the gardens, can I feed my family that way? And so that offers us incredible time freedom. I mean, we're very, very blessed more so than most farmers that I know uh, to have some incredible time freedom. And, and that happens two ways. One, it's by involving partnership and community versus employees and, 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 uh, and deadlines. And the other is saying no to things that really don't fall in alignment with our overall values. It means that over committing, well, we did that a lot in the beginning. We're very careful not to take on more than we really want. So when something comes across our plate, we get to evaluate what is this going to do to the balance that we have.
Is this something mm-hmm. that we really want to take on? And who can help us take this on? Um, if it is a, a valuable project, who can help us take it on so that we're not shouldering the burden of it? So I'm curious to your daughters, um, what do they want to do uh, when they grow up? <laughs> That's, I don't know that it's appropriate to say on video. Um, so our daughters, fortunately, because they get to work, uh, they, they get to, let's see, let me, let me change the way I'm going to word this. So our daughters, because they see the example of time, freedom, and balance that we have, they're very motivated and inspired to become a part of the organization. And what mm-hmm. capacity they do that in is, is really yet to be determined. We're just in the process of launching a retreat center down on our Winston property that we just picked up uh, this year. So doing nature-based healing. And so our youngest daughter is really excited to become a therapist and be involved mm-hmm. in the nature-based healing elements of the farm. She also she loves livestock. Uh, but, but she really is a healer by, by heart, you know, takes after Liz. And, uh, so they'll work together. Liz will do the physical healing and she'll very likely do the emotional healing and, and we can work together in that capacity. And the other one, uh, the other one is 19 and, still and trying still trying to figure out her path. She's in college okay. and, and we'll see, but you know, I, I think the example is the important piece. And if you set that yeah, yeah. then ultimately they'll come back. It took me yeah, a while nice. to come back to the farm, but uh, but when it's in your blood, it's in your blood. It's in your blood, yeah. And and that's what's important as parents is set the example and and hope that they're going to pick up from there and then yeah move you know continue on. Now some some people may not have noticed, but there is a third person in this interview. Would you like to um, bring them on screen? There actually are four. <laughs> this one escaped. We put them in a separate uh, in a separate enclosure so that we could have an interview. But this one is very Houdini-like. Yes, you are. <laughs> so she escaped uh, and found us. So yeah, we have two. We do rescue animals as well, and so these were both uh, animals that we took in. This is Roxy. Yeah, she's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, we like her. <laughs> so. What, what's your biggest blessing from, from everything that you've done since the starting? What's been your biggest blessing? For me, the from biggest, each other. Yeah. yeah. For me, the biggest blessing in this whole process is the opportunity to, to live my values. And that's mm-hmm. something that I haven't always been able to do. I, haven't always, I feel like that's a luxury that oh, yeah. I am able to make choices and engage in things that I, that I want to represent and not engage in things that I really don't want to stand for. So the opportunity to, to serve my fellow man, to heal the planet and to teach others, um, to control my time for the most part, and to live a life of service and dedication where I can balance uh, my desire to, spirit, to serve spiritually with my desire to serve physically and and then at the same time be available for my family. I think that by far is my biggest blessing. Yeah. And you? Mine is very similar. (laughs) Um, I have a, I've always had a passion for health and, and um, I was very unhealthy uh, in my early days, not by choosing, um, but I, I always sought health and, I wasn't able to get the information I needed, and it took me many years to do so. And so my passion really falls now with, with teaching 
and I feel incredibly blessed that I get to do that. Um, I get to, I get to live by example and show people that it is possible and it doesn't have to cost a million dollars. <laughs> and and I feel blessed to have all these amazing animals in my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, on, on the other end of the scale, and what what do the two of you find is your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge is the discipline to not overcommit. Yeah. So for many years, I didn't sleep, courtesy of the US government. So I became accustomed to twenty-hour workdays, uh, and for years, that was what I, I implemented it here. And it's. Yeah, I'm a project guy, so somebody will have an idea about how we can make a difference in people's lives, and and I'll, I'll get very excited about it. And it's finding the that balance and the ability to say no, uh, or to say not right now, yeah. or to pass that off to somebody else who can handle it, so that I maintain the balance. That's probably the biggest challenge for me is maintaining my my physical and emotional health uh, and that balance. Hmm. Yeah, my bi- biggest challenge is. Um, is probably more along the lines of confrontation. And when, you know, we had, especially in the early days, but even um, with certain people who don't appreciate our way of life, uh, when they when they send pretty assaulting emails, which happens on a daily basis, I mean, fortunately we get hundreds a day um, and there's a lot of good, but you know, sometimes those bad um, can, really kind of have the ability to take down the day a few notches. Um, and it's, it's, it's keeping the big picture in mind and working through that, making sure you keep things in perspective and you don't let it get to you. That's, that's my biggest thing. And honestly, there's no way I could have made it through, especially when we had the, the radicalist vegan group attack us and um, I got pictures of Tyler being hung in a tree and um, and our barns being uh, burnt that uh, I if if not for his support I would have given up honestly mm. it's sad to say but it's hard to function as a small farm you know we have to stay diversified um, to make things work and they, he's right with the emotional element of it it gets to be too much at certain points so mm. that's been that's been my hardest um, piece of it mm. but obviously okay. moving forward and, and things are going well so where do you see yourself in maybe five years time mm. five years from now I see us teaching still teaching a lot I see us a hundred percent off of any dependence from the store we're we're pretty pretty close you know we have all of our our vegetables vegetables and meat taken care of um she likes avocados and bananas oh, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> there there are some things coconut oil you know coconuts don't naturally grow in our region uh <laughs> there are some very um you know otherwise healthy things but they don't grow in our region i would like to be able to limit it to, to my surroundings. It's just kind of a, a vision that I've, I've had. So um, that, some more time freedom, some more community involvement, um, and hopefully we're, we're seeing 
our children kind of start circling back around to farming? Yeah. I would say five years from now, the vision is to pass the torch. Yeah. It is to work primarily in a consultation capacity. I want to be traveling, visiting between six and 12 farms a year and helping others implement the system because we're able to feed thousands of families. I mean, we will feed between 50,000 and 100,000 pounds of produce a week to families in need. And that's just through the pantry alone. And all of that is done while saving hundreds of thousands of cubic feet uh, of waste from ever, ever hitting a landfill. Hmm. And I can feed thousands of families through this farm, but I won't ever be able to feed millions of families through this farm. No. And the only way to do that and to really make a difference is to help others that have a vision like this develop systems. So to travel and to help them put in the infrastructure to help teach them the ins and outs of some of the regulatory uh, agencies and mm -hmm. how to work with them and, and develop systems that, that, that keep them within the confines of the law and, and help them succeed. So that's really mm -hmm. my vision is to do a lot of traveling, a lot of consultation, and then to identify on both properties here uh, that next generation that's going to take the torch and really wants to run with it uh, and can manage the show while we're, while we're abroad teaching and coaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very important uh, that people like you exist because uh, it is literally a grassroots movement because the government is definitely not taking care of us as people. Uh, it's protecting the large agrochemical uh, you know, companies, corporations, so on and so forth. And um, we need more people like you and... and I think I can speak for Mark and myself and our listeners, and we are very impressed and um, thankful that you you do what you do and get the word out. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Thank you, Alan. And we couldn't do it without people like you because setting up what you're doing is, I mean, as you know, it took many emails <laughs> for you yeah. to help <laughs> me get this whole thing set up. So we appreciate it immensely, and we're happy. We're honored to be a service. Well, I understand that you're a lot busier than I am, so I, there's no problem there. And I uh, definitely want Elizabeth back on the show uh, to talk about her side of the business. Uh, anything else you'd like to add? Hmm, let's see. Anything else we could like we add? could probably make another, a whole other show just continuing to talk yeah. like this. Yeah. yeah, we probably could. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. No, no, it's I've our just pleasure. I've got one more question for you, actually, before you go. Both of you, keep the answer short as you want. Okay. But what is it that makes you get up in the morning? What's the one thing that you go, I'm going to get up and I'm going to whatever? That face. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's it's, funny. it's a combination for me of this man who I adore and love beyond words. And and I love milking my goats. I love getting, <laughs> getting I go, I, go I, I wake up with my husband and then I get to go down and, and see all my girls and and milk them and bring fresh milk to the table for breakfast for all of us with our eggs from the farm and and um, some greens and um, you know bacon from our pigs. It just bacon. Bacon bacon is a reason to get up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. 
And for me, it's, it's the opportunity to serve. It's the reason why I enlisted in the service. It's uh, the reason, I mean, all of this has been built out of this desire to, to leave a footprint in the sand. And, uh, you know, my mom told me early on, she said, you, you know, you'll never own land, which I thought was a really interesting statement as a young man. And uh, she said, let me explain. It was there millions of years before you. It'll be there millions of years after you. Your job is to steward it, to make sure mm -hmm. that it serves the community, to make sure that when you, when you leave it, it's far better than when you found it, and make sure you listen to what it needs over what you need. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that keeps me going every day. Super job. Well, Alan, I think it's probably a good time for you to do the formal close. Okay, well, before, can you remind us the website and the Facebook? So the best way to contact us is either through the website or through Facebook. The website is www.hearttoheartfarms.com, and that's heart like in your chest, the number two, and then heart farms is plural, hearttoheartfarms.com. And then Facebook is just facebook.com forward slash hearttoheartfarms. And we great, look forward great. to hearing from you soon. Thank you again, Tyler and Elizabeth, for being on the local Paleo Show. And as we say in Texas, a votre santé, yo. Thank you. <laughs> do you hear? Do you hear that where you are? No. What was that? Oh. No. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's. Texas.